I'm going to take you back to data is everywhere and <laughs> buying real estate. This is the second part of a podcast about using data in a systematic way everywhere. So in one of the prior podcasts, we talked about uh, trying to use data more systematically in that approach and did that successfully here. I'll, I'll give you a little insight into how uh, I dived in, dove in, um, very specifically into this area in which not an expert, not my business. Um, so with respect to real estate, then when I was trying to find a place that would offer an opportunity to buy real estate that uh, I thought was worthwhile investing in because Los Angeles didn't do it. Um, the West side of LA didn't do it. Southern California didn't do it. Central Valley didn't do it. Las Vegas didn't do it. Arizona didn't do it. Utah. I mean, every time I went further and further away, I still couldn't find anything that I liked um, that offered a positive return on investment where I didn't have to dump cash into the property every month. And I hate real estate investing where you buy it and then instead of generating a return, you actually have to pay in order to hold on to it. That seems like a very, very untenable position, especially when markets can sometimes go down. And then suddenly you're hanging on to a lot of property that has not appreciated, but has actually tanked in value and it's cash flow negative. And that sounds like a real nightmare. So um, along the lines of what type of property you're looking for, in order to do successful analysis, you really have to know what you're trying to accomplish. And for me, that was cash on cash, uh, essentially cash flow, positive cash return on investment. Um, so in real estate, they usually call that cash on cash. Now, there's a lot of factors that determine cash on cash in terms of a lot of variables to run an analysis. So when I run a spreadsheet on a particular property, there's a lot of stuff going into it. However, if you're really just trying to simplify it grossly and look at what are the levers that impact it the most, the two biggest ones, um, or I should say the number one really is cap rate. Um, it's That's really the closest probably to what would generate uh, good cash and cash for me. So if it's got a low cap rate, 3 4% or something like that, I know it's not going to generate a positive cash flow for me. Um, if it's got a high cap rate, 10 12 15%, I know it's going to generate good, if not phenomenal, cash rates for me. Now, there is things like insurance and other variables that do impact on both cap rate and therefore your cash on cash return, but they really don't vary that much by geography. So if I'm trying to find places in the country that uh, are going to have an opportunity for cash flow for me, I really don't have to worry about a lot of those factors. Even things like the loan interest rate, the leverage uh, that you're going to uh, achieve with an individual property or a group of properties can have a really, really large impact on your cash on cash. However, again, they shouldn't vary significantly by geography. Now, there are some lenders who only operate in these 12 states or these 15, so that can come into play, and so you might want to you know, sort of move in and out a little bit. Um, but for the most part, once you get out of state and you know, you're, you're looking at property that is in an LLC rather than your own personal name, and I'd effectively eliminated in-state deals, once you eliminate in-state deals, then you're a whole different set of lenders because um, the typical banks like U.S. Bank really won't touch that kind of stuff where you're an out-of-state owner. Um, so that means the primary drivers for cap rate or cash-on-cash cash return are rent and price. Those are the two variables that matter the most. And I was able to narrow it down to those two primary factors and find data on average rents and average price and across the entire country. 
And therefore, I was able to run an analysis for the entire United States. And again, I kept this at the United States. I didn't want to go outside the U.S. or the places. That's a whole different kind of analysis, in large part because you can't access data as easily uh, for those places. They're not as transparent. There's not the same kind of data collection. So, you know, I looked at places like Costa Rica, and the data is just abysmal. So I don't want to get into that kind of business. Um, so you can get uh, rent and average price. And if you can get average rent and average price, you can effectively create a ratio with those two of rent over price, which is not a bad proxy for cap rate. Again, not a bad proxy for cash on cash um, because those correlate extremely well. And so then I sorted and grouped and sliced and diced. um, And I found certain states and regions and metropolitan service areas and, you know, sub areas, sort of neighborhoods within uh, MSAs that were much better or worse than others. And I even looked at the historical price appreciation uh, because if you have price data, you also have appreciation data. So how much do those properties appreciate over time to look at historical growth rate? Because what I really wanted to know is there's a hypothesis in the industry that I think is relatively faulty that says, oh, even if you get a crappy return, like a cash and cash return, or even if it's a negative cash cash and cash return, like in Southern California, don't worry about it because it'll just grow through the roof and it'll be worth so much more money over the course of a couple of years that it'll make up for all of that. You don't have to worry about cash. You know, even if you're losing money on a monthly basis, it's okay. So I looked at historical rates of growth on properties, income properties, um, in different geographical areas and looked at how they related to, uh, you know, cash and cash or cash flow or sort of those ratios relative to the growth. And what I basically found was that hypothesis is false. Um, So yes, there are some areas that actually are cash flow negative that do appreciate fast, or at least have over the recent period of time, the last five, 10 years, have appreciated faster than the areas that are lower cash flow. However, it was not enough to make up for the bad cash flow. In other words, losing money every month for month after month after month, year after year after year, was not made up for by the appreciation rate of those properties. You're better off having a high cash flow because the difference in appreciation rate between those two areas was not significant enough to justify it. So that was very illuminating for me in going after you know this hypothesis and finding cash flow areas. Then once I had sliced and diced everything and found all these areas, I had to start to add in some other variables, things like crime. Did I really want to buy into a property where there's going to be bullets going into the house? Um, Did I want to be that kind of a landlord? And the answer was no. Um, So I started eliminating those areas. Again, just to be really clear, if anyone wants to talk about this in greater detail, happy to do this. Um, There's a whole, whole political and socioeconomic discussion to be had around this kind of stuff and inequity in our society. I don't want to go on that path for today. What I do want to say is I didn't want to get into that kind of business because being what's effectively called a slumlord can be very, very high returns, and that's not consistent with my personal beliefs. I don't really want to do that um, for all kinds of reasons that I don't think are healthy for society. But I also had to eliminate other types of areas like coastal areas, for example, in Louisiana that essentially won't exist 20, 30, 50 years from now that can have phenomenal cash and cash returns in the near term but I believe effectively will have horrific, if not negative and massively negative uh, equity price appreciation so that you won't have a property anymore in 20 or 30 years because it will be underwater. Um, so after layering in that and taking out those kind of areas, I was left with areas that had much better cash flow um, 
decided to pilot and acquire the first one in the spring of 2019, bought six more over the coming, I think, eight months from there. Um, and then the pandemic shut me down in uh, March of 2020. And of course, the cash flow has actually been very good for the properties. Appreciation has been very good even before the pandemic. Uh, now, I haven't gone back and analyzed has the appreciation been as good as if I had invested in areas that had bad cash flow. Um, so that would be an interesting analysis to do one day. But the more of the story in all this is, as a philosophy in our life, as our business, as our personal investing, what we are doing, we should be figuring out how to systematically use data in order to make ourselves more profitable. Whether it's a side hustle like real estate, just investing your own money, or whether it's your main business, whether that's revenue cycle management or your healthcare provider or whatever that might be, this is really how we should be operating. So this has really been a story about how I changed my approach to investing in my personal life um, to reflect better what we're trying to accomplish in our main business at Apache Health.